Daryl Ryder joins us now, our Cleveland Browns beat reporter. Daryl, of course, is powered by Scheiben Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store, and joins us, as all guests do, on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Hi, Daryl. How are you? I am doing well. Yourself? I'm doing really well. Not as well as the Browns, of course, as they announced today. They're going to be resting some guys this week in the season finale against the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, this leads to the ultimate Maybe cliche question, Daryl. Where do you come out on rest versus rust? Yeah, I mean, look, I uh, I kind of agree with uh, you know Kevin Stefanski. Now, uh, you know, I had said that I I treat it like a preseason game, which clearly he's doing, um, and wouldn't have a problem if he would have had the starters play a couple of series or whatnot. But uh, considering the way this season's gone. Uh, from an injury perspective, I think he's got to put as many players in bubble wrap as he possibly can. And that uh, seems to be what he's going to do. And uh, Jeff Driscoll, come on down. You're quarterback number five. And uh, we'll see if uh, he can be the fifth to win a game for this team this year. Daryl, where does Jeff Driscoll excuse me, rank in terms of the illustrious list of Browns quarterbacks <laughs> that have started the final game of the regular season? If you need me to read off names, I will. But where is he at on that list? Uh, well, he's definitely in Spurgeon win territory. Um, <laughs> what about Thad Lewis? It, right, yeah, I it might uh, might be right there with uh, the great Thad Lewis. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to pull up my list off my Browns bleep sheet that I have. I've got Austin Davis. Oh, oh, who can forget the great Austin Davis getting destroyed by, I'm guessing, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if my memory serves me correctly. Connor Shaw. Ah, the great Connor Shaw. Going to go in the ring of honor someday for the beating he took. (laughs) Seneca Wallace. Ah, Seneca. Oh, Seneca, Seneca. One of the great backups the Browns have ever seen since 1999. How different has this week felt knowing that there's not ever been a week like this for the Browns where there have been plenty of games that don't matter, plenty of games that don't matter, but none of them that don't matter because they're already locked up in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I gotta be honest with the outside of uh, taking attendance today, watching practice seemed, seemed like a little bit of a waste of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on, those Jeff Driscoll spirals had to be tight. Oh, hmm, a lot of zip on the ball. <laughs> What is it? We're back to that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he threw with velocity. <laughs> Some things never change, even when the games don't matter. I keep forgetting to take my radar gun out there. Maybe tomorrow. I mean, if I can, if I can count hang time on punts, damn it, I think I should be tracking the velocity of the, the spirals coming out in individual drills. If you can't do that, what are you even doing out there? What's the purpose? I don't see one. Where do you draw the line on who should play and who shouldn't Sunday? Uh, my, uh, none of the pro bowlers should play. All 11 of the Well, five, five got in, but they got six alternates. I wouldn't play any of those guys. Um, Dustin Hopkins uh, is uh, still out. But, yeah, I mean uh, – I'll just go right down. Offensively, uh, the guys I would give the day off, uh, Amari, Co- not named Joe Flacco. We already know he's he's got the afternoon off. But Amari Cooper, Joel Batonio, uh, Ethan Posick's dealing with the stinger. I don't think he'll play. Uh, I'd give Wyatt Teller the the, the day off. Uh, sorry, James Hudson, uh, you're going to play. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, David Njoku, day off. Um, and Elijah Moore, I wouldn't put him out there, even if he's able to play. I, I wouldn't put him out there. So that's it for the offense. Defensively, uh, Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, uh, JOK, um, Denzel Ward. Those would be the guys that uh, I I would have uh, sit out. I'm glad you sort of you know, cut that list with the Pro Bowlers because there's a guy that's a Pro Bowler or an all. Well, you got to play. Well, you got no, no, you no, got to no, no, feel no. the you got to feel the team. You're right. So you, You're right. You can't sit everybody. And not only do you have to be able to have a starting 22, you need a backup 22. Correct. So you can't give everybody the day off, even though you'd like to. So I just was trying to go through the. Uh, you know, uh, the biggest uh, Obo Okoronkwo. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think of playing him this week either. Uh, yeah, even, even though he practiced today. But yeah, I mean, you, 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 Kevin said it today. You get, you, you still got to feel the team. Still got to try and win the football game, which they will. But yeah, like as I said, uh, as many guys in bubble wrap as humanly possible. I'm glad you brought up Ogbo. I'm glad you brought up Elijah Moore, which I was surprised to not even see him on the injury report, right? Like he was well, just Well, I mean he was he's out in there. the Yeah, I mean he's a, no, he was on the injury report uh but he practiced. He's still in concussion protocol. He was limited at practice, but he did practice today. So, um that's just, you know, part of this process if you will, uh when it comes to reporting the injuries. And then the other guy, not on the injured report because he's on injured reserve, but was named a Pro Bowl alternate. I'm curious, what are the chances we see Grant Delpit on the field wildcard weekend, Daryl? Um, hope, hopefully better than 50-50. Um, it would be nice to have uh, him, you know, back out there. Um, he, you know, the IR thing gave him a good four weeks to – uh, rest and recuperate. So that's that's something that I uh, have my fingers crossed uh, that will actually happen. Because um, I, you know, the calf injuries those aren't like season-ending things. You know, um, they but they do take time to heal. They usually take three or four weeks. I mean, look at Juan Thornhill, right? Yeah, uh, he needed about three weeks to get over his. So uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, four uh, over four weeks, I should say, if you include the pl- practice week that's leading up to that wild card game. Hopefully, that's plenty of time to to get him healthy enough to where he can play. So I know you've had a rough day on Twitter because everyone has been latching on to your the headline that you made here when you you said you think T.J. Watt's going to win Defensive Player of the Year over. Yeah, Miles shout Garrett. out to the morning show producers for doing me dirty for about the millionth time. Well, I wanted to bring that back up just to drag you through the mud some more. Uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, I don't know that I disagree with you, but I do think Miles Garrett should be the guy that wins it. He should, but he's what not is, going to. What is your argument for him? Well, my argument for him is he's the most dominating defender in the game, number one. Number two, um, he, I, I feel like um, he, he, just his presence affects the uh, offensive coordinators, right? He is the guy that you have to stop. Uh, they have to find ways to stop him illegally, which they do, and the officials don't call. But he just has such a massive impact uh, defensively, and he uh, is so dominant that the problem is 
the voters who don't watch Browns games, they just look at the numbers and they say, okay, who's leading the NFL in sacks? Who's got the most tackles for losses? Quarterback hits, quarterback pressures. Look at my PFF numbers here, right? And they look at that stuff. And unfortunately, you're not going to see Miles Garrett at the top of all those lists. Um, so uh, I just don't feel like the voters are going to give him his just due. They're going to penalize him because he doesn't have uh, enough statistical numbers to back up on paper just how dominant he is if you just sit in front of a, a, a screen and you just you know put his reps out there in front of you to watch. You can see it for yourself, but... Um, that's just not the way voters operate. And, and again, especially people that don't watch the Browns every week. So I, I don't think he's going to win it. But that, that that doesn't mean that I'm hating on Miles Garrett. That doesn't mean that I don't think he's deserving of the award. Quite the contrary. I'm just trying to explain the reality. Should he win it? Yeah. Is he going to win it? Probably not. I think the best way that I can put it into words is if I'm an offensive play caller and I it's third and seven, and I have to pick Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, or Micah Parsons to yeah. come after my quarterback. Miles is the last one I'm picking. That's my argument right there. <laughs> like, and it's right. not to say that those guys aren't awesome. TJ Watt's yeah. a really great football player. Micah Parsons is terrific. I think TJ Watt and Miles Garrett are neck and neck as, as far as quality of uh, player being on that elite scale. Uh, you can't go wrong with either one of those guys, right? I would agree. Um, and I would argue that Miles Garrett is the most dominant pass rusher the Cleveland Browns have ever had in franchise history. You know, both of these guys are first ballot Hall of Famers if they retired tomorrow. Um, and and that just speaks to just the greatness uh, of both of those guys. But again, uh, TJ has more numbers in the box score this year than Miles Garrett does, and voters are, I'm sorry, voters are probably going to see that. And uh, I give Kevin Stefanski credit, certainly Jim Schwartz, Garrett's teammates, you know, trying to campaign for him, right? Um, but I, I just, I'm not confident. I, I'm sorry, like, I just, I, I just, I'm not confident that he's going to, you know, get his just due. I mean, I could, I think Joe Flacco, has a, a greater case for comeback player of the year over DeMar Hamlin. But DeMar, because of how Flacco has impacted the Browns winning, whereas Hamlin, he, he's been inactive for half the season. But, and they're both great stories, and thank God DeMar Hamlin is still with us, but Hamlin is, this, the, he is going to probably be the sentimental pick uh, for everybody because of, uh, you know, what he went through, but he's not playing a whole lot. And, and, and I don't mean that as a criticism, but it's know, the truth. It, it, yeah. I mean, Joe Flacco's playing and yes, he did not have the unfortunate near death experience that Hamlin had on the field, but this guy came off his couch in mid, in mid November after driving his kids to school every day. Right. Uh, and throwing footballs with family members on a, on a field down the street. And he throws for 300 yards. He's putting up numbers now that he he hadn't put up in his career. And this is a guy that was a perennial MVP candidate and won a Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP, right? He's putting up numbers he's never put up in his career it's incredible. with the Browns. It's so, incredible. I mean, that's why I would lean toward that because just similar to like Garrett has won more games than T.J. Watt has this year. To me, Garrett 
has affected the Browns winning more than T.J. Watt has affected uh, Steeler winning, right? Uh, But, you know, uh, like I said, Hamlin, I feel like, is going to be that sentimental favorite and will probably uh, win that just for the achievement of being able to come back from that situation, get himself uh, back on the team, back on a field in some capacity. Um, So, yeah, it's... uh, it's that's the the fun part of what we do though is we get to debate uh, who should win uh, awards. It's better than debating who they should take with the first overall pick. Oh, I'll tell thank you that. God. This I, is a I, much better debate. I do not miss draft talk in late December and early January on the fan at all. No, <laughs> I, no, I don't. I, I I don't miss it at all. No, I do not. I will say as we wrap up the the awards debate, I think it does help both of their cases. That is Miles Garrett and Joe Flacco that they played a prime time game the second to last week of the season, and all eyes were on them and they played well. I think yeah. that helps a lot. Yeah, it, it, it does, and um, you know, similar to the Pro Bowl, right? Uh, you know. Fans are upset because Dustin Hopkins didn't didn't make it right. He was an alternate instead of getting in there. But like the Browns did have five Pro Bowlers. It's not like the whole team got snubbed. Um, you know, Garrett, Ward, Petonio, annual visits. Amari Cooper, semi-annual visits. David Njoku gets his first one well-deserved there. But, you know, yes, Grant Delpit had a Pro Bowl season. But, I mean, you, you can't put all Cleveland Browns on the Pro Bowl. Uh, you know, JOK, certainly deserving. He's an alternate. He, think about this. The entire interior of the Cleveland Browns uh, offensive line uh, is either on the Pro Bowl or an alternate for the Pro Bowl with Ethan Posick <laughs> and Wyatt Teller being alternates, right? Impressive. Uh, and then, of course, both, uh, you know, uh, specialists, Corey Bohorquez and Hopkins. So I, I get it, you know. Yeah, you can say a couple of Browns got snubbed there, but, like, again, you, you can't put the whole damn team on the Pro Bowl, right? There are other players in the National Football League. There are other teams uh, in the NFL, but uh, it, it just it speaks to the roster that has been built with this organization over the years that you have 11 players uh, mentioned either on the Pro Bowl or as alternates for the Pro Bowl. And I'm old enough to remember where, well, Ryan Pomprion was the lone, lone pro bowler for this franchise uh, for a decade. So uh, th- this is uh, obviously a nice change of pace, and it speaks to why they're 11-5. and five. And everybody, uh, well, most, well, some of everybody gets to take Sunday off in Cincinnati. I know I've asked you this before, but given that we have last Sunday as an extra data point, who do you think the Browns should want to win the AFC South? <sighs> Uh, well, I, I still say Indianapolis. Um, I, I I feel like Indianapolis. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence um, can, you know, he I, has that elite ability in him. Uh, C.J. Stroud uh, has had one heck of a rookie season. Um, and not to take anything away with what Gardner Minshew's done uh, for the Colts this year, but yeah, uh, I, I think the lesser of the axis of evil there is the Indianapolis Colts. I think I would agree with that there. I, I, just, I think that no matter what, because Browns fans have been starving to go to a road playoff game for 20 years, 20, more than 20 years now, there's going to be a lot of Browns fans wherever it's played. Thinking well, I'm, being, I'm sure if it's Jacksonville, that, uh, oh, that, be that, that actually may get turned into a home game for the Browns. <laughs> Are yeah. there Jaguar fans like really like are there like 
I still can't no. believe that team is still down there. I, I never wish for a city to lose their team, no, especially after not. everything's coming here. But it, it's 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 tough for me to understand why Jacksonville has an NFL team to begin with. Uh, but um, yeah, if if it is Jacksonville, I I have a feeling that um, it's going to be hard to catch a plane from Cleveland to Jacksonville. Yeah, maybe buy a refundable ticket now if you're trying to get down there for that game. Um, and last thing. They're going to play next Saturday, right? Like, this is going to be the Saturday early game. Yeah, you know, let's put it this way. Um, Matchups matter. Markets matter to the NFL. Uh, Let's let's be honest about it. Browns, Jaguars, compared to some of the other first-round matchups, it doesn't have the same luster and allure, right? So um, I could see them either playing Sunday at 1.00, or maybe playing in that Saturday 4 o'clock slot, something like that. Maybe they haven't played Saturday night, uh, but um, that they're not going to get Sunday night football, and they're not going to get Monday night football. So um, it just it, – and it, look, even if it's Indianapolis or if it's the Texans, it, it's the same thing. It's not just about Jacksonville. It's the same thing. You know, whoever the Browns play there, eh, and that's okay. Browns just need to handle their business. They'll be in prime time for the divisional round. Yes, that is absolutely the truth. Daryl, thank you for the time. You betcha, Danny. Have a good one. There is Daryl Ryder, of course, powered by Scheiben Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Really appreciate the time with him. If you missed that interview, you can go back, listen to it in full on the Odyssey Rewind app. You know, Daryl's been dragged through the mud today because of his belief or suspicion that Pittsburgh Steelers outside linebacker T.J. Watt Going to take home the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year trophy. I understand where he's coming from. I go back and forth on this. There are times where I think Miles Garrett's not going to win it. There are times where I think he is going to win it. I obviously do believe he deserves to win it. If you've listened to any bit of this show, I think he's going to win it. But I understand where Daryl's coming from. I think that these two players are absolutely two of the... Two of the, probably the two best, maybe two of the three best defensive players in football. I might have Micah Parsons a little bit ahead of TJ Watt, but I do think Miles Garrett is number one up there. And the way that they're used, the the contrasting styles certainly makes for a fun debate. I I do think when it's good spirited, of course, these things often turn into essentially political debates where if you believe one thing, that means everything else on the other side is wrong and incorrect. And that's just, that's not true. TJ Watt's awesome, but I just think Miles Garrett's a little bit better. Uh, Brian in Cleveland, you're up on the fan. What's going on, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate what Daryl's saying, but the one thing I think, and, and he's right in this, that voters don't really look at the games they played, but I had this little, you know, T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett conversation with a neighbor of mine a couple of years ago. Um, and so we'd look, not this year, but at that time we looked up the sacks for both players for the whole season. And... TJ had five sacks not being blocked and Miles Garrett had four sacks while being triple teamed. There wasn't Miles Garrett doesn't not get blocked on plays. Brian, that, no, no, no team is going to not block that guy. And part of that's a quarterback, maybe holding the ball too long or whatever, but Miles Garrett's not going unblocked even on a screen pass that you're trying to throw to his side. Brian, this is my point. Well, Brian, I mean, look, no further than there was a, a play last Thursday against the Jets. Miles Garrett was on 
the the offense's right side. They threw a wide receiver screen to the left, and there were three guys in charge of blocking Miles Garrett. Like that, I don't think that happens to any other player in football. I think that is a Miles Garrett exclusive thing, Brian. Yeah, and and I'm in agreement with you on that respect. He is he's a freak, and the only player close to him. And look, we'd be happy as the Browns would be happy to have TJ on the opposite side of him, but there's no way TJ would produce what Miles does in the same scheme run here but you know Parsons is is the only player close to miles in in today's league um numbers don't always tell the whole story um miles is more of a the look test right your your point earlier about the holding and i mean that guy you know we jokingly say people can hold, be held on every play or you know there's a whole call you can make every time but that guy's name is on the front of his jersey more than it's on the back, the way they hold and tackle him to the ground. You're not wrong, you know? man. It's it's like so, I was stunned when a flag came out, and Brian, I appreciate the call, 216-474-0092. I was stunned when a flag came out last Thursday night. Like, he just – and to be fair, it, it happens to other guys too. This is not a – if you watch, as I'm asking voters to, if you watch across the league, Micah Parsons doesn't – draw the amount of holding flags that he should. TJ Watt doesn't draw the amount of holding flags that he should. And Miles Garrett comes nowhere close to drawing the amount of holding flags that he should. That is just the unfortunate reality. These guys have become so, so incredibly difficult to block that if you're not holding them, you're not blocking them. And the other point to what Brian was saying about TJ Watt having so many sacks when he's not blocked and that not happening with Miles Garrett. And it's hard to say this without it coming off as a slight to the rest of the Browns defensive line. And I'm not trying to do that because I think Zadarius Smith's a really good player. I really, really have been impressed with him, what he's done this year. You know, I think Maurice Hurst had an awesome year before he got hurt. I think Dalvin Tomlinson's been really good. Alex Wright, I think, has come along better than I thought he would at the start of the season. But none of those guys are Cam Hayward, who's you know been an all-pro for a long time in this league. He's been incredible the entire time he's been in the NFL, and T.J. Watts played alongside him his entire career. Alex Highsmith is a Pro Bowl caliber player. If you put either one of those guys on the Browns' defensive line, they would instantly be the second-best player. One of them's the third best player in Pittsburgh on that defensive line. I just think things like those matter. Like, what would Miles' numbers look like if that were the case? What would TJ Watt's numbers look like if – and this is the thing that you want to bring up double team rates and you want to bring up PFF and you instantly engage one side of the fan base and you instantly turn off the other because for some people – Advanced metrics are the devil for other people. They're the Bible. And it's just, it's, it gets really complicated. And I don't think that's what it's meant to be. I think that those are things that are supposed to either enforce or I guess reinforce or kind of tell you that your eyes are lying a little bit with me. I think that the PFF stuff just kind of reinforces what I watch miles Garrett do. It's like, you know what? There's a lot of times where, I see him draw double and triple coverage, and those numbers back that up. There are a lot of times where it seems like opposing quarterbacks get rid of the ball 
a lot quicker against Cleveland than anybody else. And, you know, it, in previous years, I felt like that was because the Browns were playing too soft coverage on the outside and they weren't utilizing their their excellent defensive backs and man coverage frequently enough. And this year they've done that much more. And, you know, that time to throw number hasn't changed a whole ton. So I've gone from thinking it was a schematic problem to, no, teams just don't want to give Miles Garrett the opportunity because they know he's more of an inevitability than anybody else. I think that those PFF numbers kind of reinforce that. But it's a hard thing to talk about without instantly saying, oh, well, the advanced metrics say this, and then you know the, the quote-unquote football guys won't hear any of that because they don't want the sport to be ruined by numbers. But there has to be a middle ground. I think if you look at that middle ground, Miles Garrett's the best player in, on defense in football. I think that's what that middle ground tells you. If you want to go only stats, okay, T.J. Watt's going to be your winner. Yeah, the guy's got 17 sacks. He's awesome. If you want to go only PFF, it's Miles Garrett or Micah Parsons. If you watch the games and weigh it all, I think it's Miles Garrett. Where I'm at with it, I think he's the best defensive player in football. I'm not going to have my mind changed about this, but because far too often these awards aren't one on the field or one in the box score, TJ Watt wins it again. Is anyone really going to be surprised? Disappointed, certainly. I'd be disappointed for Miles Garrett. I'd be disappointed for the Browns. I'd be disappointed as a fan because I've seen this all year, and I know that that work, that career development that Miles is, I mean, he's always been good, but he has taken his game to another level. I want that to be rewarded. I feel like it's deserved. That's what I want as a Browns fan. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it matters to me. It's like it matters to me that Kevin Stefanski wins Coach of the Year. I think he deserves that recognition for what he's done. Now, the Joe Flacco comeback player of the year doesn't quite matter as much. It's been a lot of fun having Joe Flacco, but I understand what he's up against there, and he's been great. And ultimately, he's someone who will, in all likelihood, end his career playing five regular season games for the Cleveland Browns and you know, hopefully playing in a few more playoff games than for the Cleveland Browns, ideally. But the Defensive Player of the Year award, that's the one I want for Cleveland because that makes me feel like everything about Miles Garrett will be justified. The fact that they took him number one overall, and he is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, and I know who they passed upon, but that looks like a great pick. Just like when... Everyone talks about Michael Jordan being passed in the draft, going third. They don't say, oh, Houston passed on him. Houston drafted Hakeem Olajuwon in that draft. Why no one no one says anything about the Browns passing on Patrick Mahomes in that draft because they drafted Miles Garrett. Like, that matters there. But him getting this award, I think, is something that matters to his career. When you think about the legacy of Miles Garrett, Daryl Ryder, 20 minutes ago, called him the best pass rusher the Browns have ever had. Daryl is right about that. I don't I don't know how far that gap is between him and number two, but I don't have to think about him not being number one. I think that tells you a lot about this. I think that having this award on his resume matters to me and it should matter to you as a Browns fan. Something that I I I think matters. It's something that I hope the voters get right. I don't know how confident I am. I'm not as maybe pessimistic as Daryl is about it, but I'm also not 
sitting here thinking it's a lock. Miles Garrett's going to get that award, especially considered considering TJ Watt's going to play on Saturday against Baltimore with the playoffs on the line. That is some, that is the thing that's holding me back from truly believing about this. That's where I'm at with this. Up next here in the fan, we've got off the beaten path going to be my first time doing this segment. Really excited to find out what it's all about. I'm not going into this blind, but anytime you're doing something for the first time, it's always a bit of a roller coaster. So let's see how that ride is next right here. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. I'm Dana Cunningham filling in, taking you up until midnight right here on 92.3 The Fan. It's time for Off the Beaten Path. Jake Volnick, hi. How we doing, Danny? I'm good. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. We just got to uh, right here on the, the TVs here in studio. Got to watch the Cavs pretty dominantly lock in a win. And Yeah, you were pretty tuned into that one. Yeah, I had you a little and, bit of a... Uh, you and Michael Bohm, uh, when Daryl was on, you and Michael Bohm, who's with us as well tonight, were pretty excited at the end of that game. I mean, the over sitting at 240, <laughs> a nice little floater, <laughs> and absolute garbage time by the Wizards made it 241, and it, it was just a, a really nice thing to see. Incredible. But uh, let's get into it. So we'll start off in the NFL as we always do. Dan Campbell joined 97-1 the ticket, our Odyssey Detroit affiliate. And he was questioned on his decision to go for two on Saturday. And Dan wanted everyone to pretty much just keep it real. Like when, when you got the penalty, you move it to go the... Go ahead and say it. Say it. Both of you. What? Say it. Say what you want to say. I think from the seven, it's a low percentage play. I think your chances of winning are lower than if you kick the extra point. I would have... I would like you would say it to anybody else. I'm on the radio. Say it like you want to say it. Yeah. I thought it was a reckless decision. Thank you. You, okay, but you don't regret it. No. <laughs> this is like the most awkwardly aggressive but most Dan Campbell thing I've ever seen. Do, do we like this? Do we like the – I don't even know that it's passive-aggressive coming out from Dan Campbell. He pretty much is just like, listen, if you thought it was a bad decision, tell me it was a bad decision. I really don't care. I'm just going to – I'm still not mad about it. I just want you to say it to my face. Yeah, that's not passive-aggressive. That's aggressive-aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Um. I really like Dan Campbell. I was not, you know, I was kind of on the, oh, it's, he's goofy. They're going to bite off kneecaps. You know, I thought it was funny and cute, and I didn't expect it to last long in the NFL. Um, But in watching that Lions team over the last couple of years, I've really grown to appreciate who he is as a coach and who he seemingly is as a person. That said, it was aggressive. It was reckless. It was dumb going for two from the seven. I loved the call going for two in the win. I loved the play that they threw out there. I hate, hate that the referees screwed them out of it. Can't stand that. But once that flag comes out, you got to kick the extra point. You have to. You've got all the momentum until that yellow flag comes out of the pocket, and then that momentum's gone. And I know they got an offsides call, and they got to move it back to the four or four and a half or whatever, half the distance to the goal. But once that flag came out, it's got to be, okay, we missed our chance. Let's kick it. We've got all the momentum. Let's kick it, go to overtime, and win this game instead of going for it from the seven. I thought it was reckless, but I love how he's handling it. Even when you get the second penalty and you get moved closer, it's another opportunity to go ahead and kick the field goal, right? Yeah. You only have so many plays drawn up, and it's probably one or two when you're going for a two-point conversion at the end of the game. You run through them. You practice them. Once those are out, you're pretty much throwing it all to the win. 
And at that point, you have a better chance in overtime. I, I agree. I like the call to go for two in the first place because they really didn't have the momentum in the game. You kind of got a, a spark towards the end. Well, it felt like you, you could to close steal it. a win on the road. Exactly. That's what it felt like. And then once that flag came out, it's like, you know what? Let's take our chances in overtime. Because the Lions were the better team for like 40 minutes of that game. They were. They were the better team. The Cowboys, I thought, managed things terribly. And there are a lot of people talking about Mike McCarthy this week. If that flag doesn't come out, if the refs handle that the way that it's supposed to be handled. I appreciate that Dan Campbell's not backing down from this, though. I do. I think that he is being true to who he is. And I think that even though they lost that game, the way you handle the aftermath, the way you handle adversity matters in that locker room. And I think he's doing a good job of weathering that storm. No doubt about it. We'll move on. A.J. Brown reportedly being called toxic to the locker room over in Philly and that he's negative. Also reportedly a veteran even backing those comments. After skipping talking to the media earlier this week, the star wide receiver spoke today on his behavior. I didn't want to be negative, you know. You know I, 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 I had already transitioned to the mindset where uh, we were going through a tough time. And so me personally, the person I am, uh, who just know... Uh, I just have to go back to work, you know. And nothing I could do about it, you know. And uh, like, like I said after the game, I said I was raised. If I had nothing nice to say, I'm not going to say nothing at all. So I'm not just about to continue to compound the negative with the negative. So you guys can write more negative stuff. Like, you guys watch the game too. A.J. Brown frustrated with the Eagles. A.J. AJ this, A.J. that, you know. But everybody's locker room is frustrated. So why are you singling me out because I'm frustrated? Like Just because I'm shaking my head, I'm showing emotion. You can look at everybody in the stadium has bad body language. They're frustrated, you know? And so, yeah, I wanted to clear that up because it's not about me. Like, we're all frustrated. So AJ sort of working his way back, you know, just it's, it's a frustrated locker room, everything here. He also went on to say he was trying to find the reporter who had wrote that the veteran had called him out and that he wanted to ask him who the veteran was. Now, are, are we buying that? Everybody in this locker room is frustrated, and A.J. Brown simply just part of that? Or is A.J. Brown actually the toxicity here? I feel like that comment there might add to the latter. I think if you're in that locker room right now with the way things have gone in Philadelphia over the last uh, month and a half or so, and you're not frustrated, you're part of the problem. That said, is A.J. Brown part of that toxicity? Sure seems like it. I I don't have other evidence to the contrary. I mean... Think back to early in the season. They were playing great, but he was frustrated he wasn't getting the ball enough. Like, that was a thing that we forget about because they got off to, what, an 8-1 and start or a 9-1 start, whatever they were. And then, you know, you are a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, is supposed to be gearing up for a lengthy postseason run. And what do you do? You stub your toe against the three-win Arizona Cardinals. That doesn't happen to Super Bowl-caliber teams, which we know the Eagles are because they were just there. And that team didn't change that much to think, oh, you know, they're not that good anymore. We're six weeks away from them being the best team in football. Now, they're nowhere near it. I think he's frustrated. I think a lot of guys in the locker room are frustrated. And I think it's a little late, too, Jake, for them to be able to turn it around. Yeah, it's an awkward period that they're in right now because you're still in a good spot in terms of, you know, you're going to make the playoffs, you're going to be perfectly fine, have a good division standing even. But you're also on, like, the downswing. Yeah. You just feel like this team is going to go from what was a Super Bowl team, probably down to a first round, maybe you walk into a second round of the playoffs. It doesn't look good. And also, if it's true that your veterans coming out and saying things about your star wide receiver and there's guys in the locker room 
chatting to reporters and everybody else about the toxicity around might be something that uh, Nick Sirianni wants to get under control because that's not good culture and that's only going to lead to things getting worse. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like the Browns under Hugh Jackson. Now, there wasn't the spotlight here because they went 1-31 in his first two years. There wasn't the media presence because Philadelphia is a much bigger market than Cleveland is. But this sounds like things that would have happened with Hugh Jackson in charge. And I'm not trying to say Nick Sirianni is a bad coach. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. But I don't think this looks good. It definitely does not. Moving on, Puga Nakua needs just 28 yards in the Rams' final game of the season to set the rookie receiving yards record. Obviously, he's having an incredible season. But do you think he's the best rookie receiver that you've personally ever seen? I'm trying to think, and it's oftentimes, Jake, hard for me to remember what guys were exactly as rookies. Um, You know, I'd probably say Justin Jefferson with how good he was with the Vikings a couple years back. Like, he was just instantly incredible. Locally here, I think back to what Josh Gordon was as a rookie, and his numbers didn't blow you away, but you're like... That, that's one of those guys all the really good teams have. We don't have many of those guys. Let's give him the ball a lot. And then the next year they give him the ball a lot, and he was the best receiver in football. And I'm not – I don't think Puka Nakua is going to be either of those guys. I think Puka Nakua is really, really good. He's really, really good. I think he's got a case for Offensive Rookie of the Year that was – and I know you're wearing a C.J. Stroud jersey as you're looking at me right now. Currently am. That was – Boosted by Stroud missing those two weeks with the concussion. CJ Stroud's been fantastic this year. He's been really, really great. But I think that Puka Nakua has been incredible. And when you bring in just the fact that we're having this conversation, because no one's having the conversation right now, is CJ Stroud the best rookie quarterback ever? No, no one's having that conversation. I, I don't know who it is, but I know it's probably not CJ Stroud right now. We're having the conversation about Puka Nakua. That matters a lot to me. Now, where he goes in his career after this, I'm not quite sure. Because I don't, it's not like he is someone I think is going to turn into Randy Moss. You know, especially in, in that offense, you can put up a lot of numbers. Is Cooper Cup going to be around next year in Los Angeles? I don't know. Like, what's that team going to look like moving forward? I'm not so sure. Is he going to be someone that leads the NFL in yards? I don't know. Maybe. But I don't think I'm ever going to think of him in the same breath that I think of someone like, Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or what Randy Moss was in his prime. Like, he doesn't strike me as that, but his rookie season's been so incredible. Yeah, I mean, you hit some of the numbers on the head. I had a few guys pulled up. I mean, Randy Moss went for 13-13 in terms of yard, also set the rookie receiving touchdown record at 17. That's Puka Nakua's just sitting at 5. Uh, OBJ was another one. He had 12 touchdowns, 1,300 yards. Anquan Bolden, the sneaky one that a lot of people forget about. He was almost 1,400 eight touchdowns. I don't think I'm willing to give it up, but in terms of what Puka was, where he was drafted. Oh, he's an incredible draft pick win. I mean, we talk about Grant Delpit as being a win of a draft pick because he was a second round pick. That's made a pro bowl. Puka Nakua was in the fifth round. Look at who the Rams have drafted in the fifth round the past two years. Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, two pretty good fifth round picks. If you ask me, you're not doing much better there. We thought Donovan Peoples-Jones was a home run of a sixth-round pick because he made a couple nice grabs. Like, this is this, this is awesome for the Rams. I also think, you know, reading off the list that you had there, 
Think of the guys throwing the football to those rookie wide receivers. That's true. You know, it, it's really, really, it matters the situation you go to. Not as much as it matters how good you are, but it matters. Yeah, I mean, even Puka, not too bad either. I mean, Matthew Stafford. Yeah, going to be, should be a Hall of Famer. Like that, I, I, I think he's in that category partially because he's got a quarterback that's in the same category as those guys do. Are moving on. Dalvin Cook reportedly drawing interest from the Baltimore Ravens. Is this a name that even scares you at all to go to an in-division competitor, a team that's at the top of the AFC? And is it a team that you actually want, or a player, excuse me, that you want the Browns to, to even consider and take a look into, given the room? I don't think that the Browns need to change anything. Um, and maybe that's... Maybe it's because I've not seen much from Dalvin Cook this year because the Jets haven't played him really this year. Like, I think I believe he has less than 300 yards rushing on the season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's sub-70 carries. Yeah, which what does mean he's got fresh legs. But if you're looking for positives there, I don't know what's left in that tank, but he's got fresh legs. It's kind of like he's going to be good now or never. It's not going to scare me if he goes to Baltimore because... There's one guy on that Baltimore roster that scares me. It's Lamar Jackson. Like, everything else, I actually think the Browns have an answer for. I don't know who has an answer for who Lamar Jackson's been this regular season. That being said, you could have said the same thing about him in 2019, and then the playoffs came around and he laid night. That could happen again. I think if there's a team that can beat the Ravens in the playoffs in the AFC, it's the Browns. Or maybe Buffalo, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm thinking Delvin Cook, probably not all that scary. I think he's just over three yards of carry on the season. He's fumbled twice. You're right. He's got fresh legs, but three yards of carry, it's a pretty big drop-off. And I already know Cleveland also going to be screaming the Minnesota connections. Stefanski, Delvin Cook, worked together for a couple of years. I I just don't know that it's the right move. I don't know that it's the right move. It's The fact that he hasn't played worries me. The fresh legs are nice. And I get the Jets are a dumpster fire, but if he were good, you'd think even a coaching staff like that, who I don't think is that good, would have him out there. That's that's where I'm at. That is off the beaten path. Jake, great job. Thanks for doing that. That was a lot of fun. Glad I got to do that. I'll be back tomorrow. I don't know if you'll be in or not, but I'm looking forward to do that tomorrow, too. It won't be me, but you'll have somebody. Uh, You'll have a good time. What a bummer. Well, that was off the beaten path. Really, really did enjoy that. Cavs, big winners tonight. The over did hit as well as you heard earlier in this segment in quite an epic way. We will dive into the wine and gold straight ahead right here on 92.3 The Fan. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. I'm Danny Cunningham filling in right here on The Fan.